will discuss his plans for a new community revitalization project. This is the Journey Till Podcast, and I'm your host, Sean Zanotti. I believe life is about the journey, not the destination, to find the journey in every step of the road. The highs and lows, the twists and turns, the ups and downs, it's in that, it's in those moments that makes life so beautiful. Our guest today has a journey of his own. Gary Gilliam is the founder of The Bridge. After five NFL seasons with the Seattle Seahawks and San Francisco 49ers, Gary founded The Bridge, which is a eco-village designed to revitalize inner city communities worldwide. Please help me welcome Gary to the Journey Told Show. Gary, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. I am so honored to have you on the show. I want to first start off before we even like dive into everything. I want to start off by talking about COVID. How has COVID been for you? How have you been adjusting to COVID life? What's that been like for you? Well, I'm already a hermit, so I didn't really leave my house very often before the lockdowns and everything. So, um, not much in reality uh, <laughs> as it pertains to that, but obviously the, the, the outside world changed, um, some work things changed, you know, um, my, some of my teammates, some of their family members being affected obviously um, affects me. So I think as a lot of people, you know, within probably one or two degrees of separation, you've been directly affected by it, if not personally yourself. Um, I personally, you know, haven't gotten sick at all um, and no one in my immediate family have. So we're blessed in that fashion. So that's awesome. Was it um, was it a mental did you have to go through like a mental shift in the beginning of the quarantine? I mean, I guess we're like a year plus in. But at the start of this, was it like a big transformation for you mentally to kind of get prepared for this? No, I you just zoomed I, right through. It was nothing. I'm not going to say it's, it was nothing, but okay. I'm not one that likes to be around a lot of people in the first place. Like I'm very okay with just being at, at my home, you know, like, so lockdown was just normal life in reality, you know, I have, okay. have I'm at home. So I was able to work out and, you know, maintain myself. So, you know, on that side of life, certainly blessed. So it didn't, didn't strain us too much. Um, so it, it wasn't, wasn't too much, you know, prepping for it. It was just like, all right, well, I guess now I have to live this way as opposed to wanting to live this way. <laughs> So tell us, how did you merge from athlete to business? What was that like? Yeah, so that 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 transition, that mindset uh, really started when I was probably about like five years old. Uh, you know, I was always in the 99th percentile for height and weight and was always athletic and, and showed that in comparison to, you know, the rest of the kids my age. And um, coaches wanted me on their teams, football, baseball, you know, a bunch of different sports when I was younger. And, and mom was like, you know, okay, cool, like, that's, that's fine and all. And, and I want you to be an athlete and I'll encourage you in that way, but I don't want you just to get sucked down that cultural wormhole of as a young black boy, you can only be an athlete or an entertainer to be successful. Um, so show me what your report card looks like, right? I mean, let, let me see those grades. Let me see you performing in the classroom just as well and if not better than, than you do on the field. And that was for mom, right? So, so she said that early. Yeah. Uh, and then when I was eight years old, I actually went to a, a private boarding school for orphans. Mm. Obviously not an orphan. I, I can explain a little bit more about that. But at that school, it, it really reinforced what mom taught me and that it, it created an environment where athletes, especially top athletes, were expected to be top scholars. Mm -hmm. And they called it, you know, a whole man concept. Like in our basketball team, it was like, all right, well, it, it was about being more than just a basketball player, more than just a football player. It was about one, being a multi-sport athlete, 
you know, so you have a sport that you're doing all year round. Um, you're taking care of your home life, right? The chores that you're supposed to be doing, <clears throat> doing your homework when you're supposed to, so your academics are taken care of. And then also on the spiritual side and, and contributing back to your community in, in, in a few ways. So that all those things together, were, it was called the whole man concept. Um, and that was <clears throat> really expected of us as athletes. So that was what I was used to. Unlike, you know, a traditional athlete in a public school where, you know, they, you know, get an A on a math test and their buddies are kind of like, dude, what? Like, what do you like? We don't, we don't do that. Or like even the teachers on the other side, kind of like hush, hush, push, push. It's okay. You know, you didn't get an A, so it's okay. We'll, we'll get you through. Not the case. Like mom on one end was, was hawking me. And then the other side, the school that now from eight years old, all the way through high school graduation, that was the environment I was in. It was, it was expected. Then to, to reinforce that, that mindset <clears throat> going to college, um, I went to Penn State, earned a full scholarship to play football at Penn State. And I, I played under Joe Paterno and Bill O'Brien. And, and Joe Paterno had this thing called the Grand Experiment, where similar to what the, the boarding school that I went to did, it, if you're a top athlete, as you all are getting to this university, we expect you to be top scholars. So Penn State actually, to this day, prides itself on one of the highest graduation rates of its football team across all Division One schools. Um, so again, that that environment, that that mindset was was reinforced. So while at Penn State, I actually triple majored in business development, advertising, and psychology. Hmm. While playing football. So wow. I guess to answer your question, it was never a shift because my entire life, the two were supposed to be developed together and as just as, you know, successful ways. So actually something I'm a huge proponent of is, is explaining to athletes like, look, the attributes that make you a successful athlete when geared toward entrepreneurship, business, whatever it is you want to gear it toward, you will be just as, if not more successful. Those, those attributes, those traits are very valuable. You know, don't, don't, don't diminish yourself. Don't belittle yourself. Don't listen to society saying, just shut up and dribble. Like, no, 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 no. Uh -huh. We're much more than that. Right. And, and that was something that started with mom reinforced at the boarding school that I went to doubly reinforced at Penn state, and then was able to come to fruition when I became a professional athlete and an entrepreneur. So from, from that component, how did you take that and then marry that into the bridge? A lot of athletes come from inner cities, mm -hmm. especially the black ones, right? Let's just go there. Mm -hmm. And I'll focus on the NFL because that's my experience. Okay. <clears throat> now, a lot of my teammates, a lot of athletes go back to their communities and, and give back, right? A lot of us have our own nonprofits um, and a lot of us, which this is, what really catapulted and was kind of the catalyst to the idea of the bridge years ago was I don't like holding Gary Gilliam football camps, you know, like going back to Harrisburg, Pennsylvania and holding a camp for 300 kids is low key reinforcing that kind of cultural brainwashing that you as a young black kid, like me as an athlete telling you, yes, you can make it as an athlete. When in reality, like all 300 of those kids probably won't make it to the NFL. And that's not to say that it's not good to go back and, and preach about, you know, being healthy and moving and all those things. But like on a real foundational level, we got to go back as athletes and use our platforms to talk about things beyond just athletics. You know, there's a lot of other issues going on in our communities related to, you know, food deserts, food localization, um, graduation rates. It's a lot of stuff that we could have a platform to speak on. Um, so long story short, instead of going back home and holding another football camp, I wanted to do something different. 
at first it started out as wanting to hold like a type of steam or stem camp uh, and then that really evolved into that was kind of a band-aid a lot of the the things that i was passionate about and then i'm passionate about solving the problems that i had pinpointed um band-aids weren't really going to solve them so one of the biggest ways that you can start to affect systems is with infrastructure like a, a base um so being on the west coast playing in, in seattle and san francisco i actually saw the way that technology and infrastructure had a positive and a negative effect on on the local community um so in seeing that and, and kind of rubbing elbows with different developers and and networking while down in silicon valley and, and what have you it allowed me to generate some ideas and then in those points of pain that were identified across society was really able to put together a bunch of solutions that together created created its own system that at the bridge we call systemic empowerment so one of the biggest points of pain is the consolidation of public schools and that in of itself is an issue but another side effect of it is it leaves a bunch of big beautiful buildings unattended smack dab in the middle of residential zones that aren't being used across the country and most of these places are owned by mayors municipalities you know cities that don't just want a traditional developer to come in and build a bunch of affordable housing and or a nursing home nothing wrong with those things but these sites these projects are strategically located to really have an effect in a positive way on that community. And these communities understand that. Um, so with that major point of pain, understanding that those sites could be converted into mixed use developments that that really help the community aside from just providing housing, but with a, a, a more more of a focus on the programmatic activities that go on within that location. That was what really spawned, you know, an opportunity for the bridge and then 2020 was kind of the, the flood that lifted the arc and kind of really magnified the need, uh, you know, for what we're doing. So dive in deep a little bit for me there. So you basically, what do you do? So you acquire the properties in these inner cities and what do you do with the properties once you acquire them? So the Bridge Eagle Village is a for purpose, not nonprofit, certainly for profit, but even more importantly, for purpose, uh, real estate development company. And as you said, we acquire schools, malls and warehouses, and then we convert them into these eco villages. Uh, to us, an eco village is really a fancy way of saying a mixed use development mm -hmm. that has spaces for the community and the tenants to work, eat, live, learn and play. Now, those five things have been strategically strategically selected because at some point in your day, you're doing one of those five things. So the most sustainable thing to do is to do them in one place. Now that's easier said than done because of zoning across most cities, right? Like if, you, if you're acquiring a school, it's probably an institutional zoning, which doesn't yield to agricultural things and, and commercial uses and all that. So the first step after acquiring the building is, is to rezone it so that we can do all the, the activities that we wanna do. And those things include within the work branch, that's co-working spaces, maker spaces, essentially spaces for entrepreneurs and startups to come and share resources. Each of these branches, right? Sectors, work, eat, live, learn, and play. Those point of pain that they're targeting within society have been chosen. So in the work branch linked to corporate workplace, we're looking to bridge the gap in the disparity of black representation in Fortune 500 companies there's only four black CEOs in fortune 500 companies and there's only ever been 17 in history. Like that's a huge issue. Well, it's not just about, you know, putting the pressure on these companies to hire black CEOs, but what about the other side of it about, about 
providing opportunity, non-predatory funds, resources, the environment for these Black-owned businesses to thrive, right? So that's what that work branch is really about, creating those spaces. Then we move on to eat. You know, that point of pain there is really linked to health and wellness, food security, food localization. We hear about food deserts. We call it food apartheid, right? This has been strategically done to keep fresh local food from certain people. Uh -huh. uh, and that compounds and has an effect on a bunch of different sectors. So in reality, <clears throat> the eco aspect of the bridge eco village actually is coming through our eat branch because the way we grow food is much more sustainable than traditional farming. We actually grow food without soil. So using aeroponics and hydroponics allows us to grow indoor and go vertical. So now we can control the entire environment, allowing us to grow year round and actually having more yield. An example, on one third of an acre, we're actually able, by going vertical, able to grow enough food to feed 100,000 people. 100,000 people. From one third wow. of an acre. And that's the, a traditional farmer, as it equates to the traditional farming methods, that equates to 13 acres of farmland. Moreover, mm -hmm. aeroponics and hydroponics saves anywhere from 90 to 95% <clears throat> of the water than a traditional farming does. So now when you control the water, you control the nutrients, mm -hmm. you control the light, mm -hmm. you get more food and you can grow into the winter time. So for places like Pennsylvania, mm -hmm. it's extremely valuable. For places like Arizona, where there's not a lot of water, this is extremely valuable. For places across the world, this is extremely valuable in the way that we should probably be farming. Yeah. Now, as it relates to, to water, I, I explained that. Now, energy is, is also an issue too, right? Having these pumps and these lights are an issue. So with solar panels, obviously, not just looking to be net zero, but to be net positive, to create what's called a smart grid system it allows us to capture the extra energy that we have, store it, and then sell it back at a lower cost to those low-income housing individuals, not just on site, but in the local community, actually relieving some pressure off of the grid for the city. So they actually, a lot of times, partner with us to help establish the sustainable infrastructure to create this smart grid, because with such a big site, they need to have the capacity, if, if for whatever reason our entire site went down, to cover that. So by us being self-sustainable, it actually makes the entire grid more sustainable. So that's energy. I know your plans are to expand. Um, from a city perspective, where are you looking to expand to be? And from a partnership perspective, to actually make this work in your vision, or what are the plans, or who do you need to be involved or in, engage with it with you to make this work, um, so we can help you get there? I love, I love it. It's great. It's beautiful. Yeah, no, it's, it's actually it's 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 working in Harrisburg already. Um, yeah, we've already finished our first phase of construction, and phase two looks to be starting in July. Um, tremendous community support, tremendous political support from representatives, senators, uh, the entire city council, mayors. Um, the whole community is behind it. So, you know, in applying for grants, that certainly helps to help this thing move along. Now, in reference to other cities, uh, a lot of places need help yesterday. Yeah. Uh, and as I stated, you know, mayors, municipalities, developers, investors have already reached out to us and we're in the process of actually master planning and developing bridge locations across the country already. Um, so I, I, like what we're doing now is, is good, you know, getting, getting the word out there. If any developers that would like to be a part of the bridge brand and, and possibly do joint venture deals or if they've got sites that they think, you know, fit the target area that we're looking for, 
um, by all means, reach out to us. You know, our, our website is an open line of communication. And uh, the more people that get involved, the bigger we make it, the more capital that gets raised and the more people can be helped. In a perfect world, if you can like click your heels three times, um, what would your vision, what would that look like for you? What would the bridge look like? What would that dream look like for you? Yeah, I'd say in 10 years, we're in 20 states. Uh-huh. Because um, the, the way that the bridge is set up is it's, it's not fully philanthropic by any means. It's, it's self-sustaining, uh-huh. right? So once it's built, it sustains itself and continues to then produce fruit for that local community spurring true economic restoration and, and most importantly, self-sufficiency from a community. Um, so when they're placed, they, they, in reality, a city can start to thrive around it. If you threw a bridge in the middle of the Sahara Desert, a city could start to thrive in, you know, a few years after it. So looking to get into as many places as possible, if I could click my heels and get $2 billion. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Bet. Yeah. We're going to go build a lot of bridges in a lot of places that need it and help a lot of people, you know? I wanted to mention, I'm from Chicago originally, and um, so I'm from the inner city. And I feel like, you know, there's there's a need for mentorship, too, that I feel like sometimes it gets lost in the mix of the dialogue when we, when we talk about things like this. What will your program do? Or have you thought about the mentorship program, that arm, and... Um, and if and and also, what will that look like? And will there be a way that, even if it's not in other cities, or other cities could possibly tap in, even if it's done virtually? Because a city like Chicago, for example, could definitely utilize, um, you know, being part of something like this. And and there's 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 businesses in Chicago that I know could definitely be interested in partnering and um, taking this, doing this with you, and collaborating, and you know taking it to the next level uh, there's it's like as, as you're talking my brain is going of just people that just come to my mind that I know would just kind of take it and run with it I think that um it's a beautiful idea and that's one city I'm sure of many that I know could could utilize it but I think the mentorship component is also a key ingredient especially when you talk about the inner city what are your thoughts on that yeah absolutely um well partnership wise or we have our development company the bridge eco village as a development company. And then we've also got a nonprofit uh, that works really hand in hand called Empower at the Bridge Foundation. So as our development company builds the physical spaces, our nonprofit leverages partnerships with local nonprofits, entities, corporations, individuals that are movers and shakers in the communities to establish the programs that are already going on around the city, but they're just that, they're going on all around the city. So if I'm a single mother with three kids <clears throat> and no car and I'm looking to you know, start a business, maybe go to school, that's really tough to go to all these programs that are offered around the city. Now, when a bridge location is built and that all-in-one holistic hub, as we call it, for these developmental programs are there through partnerships with other nonprofits so that because all nonprofits want to help as many people as we can. So as those resources are used together and as the community comes to this accessible location, this one-stop shop, that kind of overused term, um, it makes it more efficient. It creates a village, it creates synergy. And now I'm not discouraged, you know, trying to catch three buses to go, you know, maybe get a health screening and then possibly go to a night class. You know, Billy's running this way, Sally's running that way. Now I'm discouraged, I'm not gonna go get my credit repaired. So now I can't get a business loan to maybe start the business that I'm trying to start, right? So now, the cycle kind of continues. And um, so it's important for, for 
our nonprofit to partner with the already established local nonprofits that are doing the work, right? It's not about recreating the wheel. It's about being more efficient and, and, and giving a space for all nonprofits to really work together. Um, and then on the mentor side of it, the way that we go about doing it, um, those same, that, that, that same thing that the little black boy was told um, that, you know, you can either be an athlete, an entertainer or a drug dealer to really take care of your family out of the hood. Those exact individuals can actually help, you know, get this message into the community a bit more, the athletes, the entertainers and the drug dealers, right? But now it's about finding those individuals from these cities because there's professional athletes from a lot of these inner cities and not just having them drop a bag in the hood but also training them. So in our athlete ambassador training program, it's about educating the athletes on how to use their platform to speak about these different disparities across all these different sectors, because that's powerful. And, and to, to as, as much as our community would need financial, financial wellness training, if you create an event or a program that says financial wellness training come at 3 p.m. on Saturday, your turnout and your engagement's not gonna be a lot. And or, or, or if we Why realize- Why do you think that? Why is that? Sorry, I'm going to cut you off. But why? Why is it that? Why is it that way? Why? Why is it that if you were to say that, would it not be a good turnout? It's marketing and, and advertising. And and another example, right? So I'll, I'll I'll kind of bring it all together, right? Let's say if you talk to any you know super successful people and you ask them what their routine is, at some point in time in their day, they're probably doing something active. And something also inward, right? So like meditation, working out. I was out. going to ask you that. So you can answer that question. You want to answer it now or do you want to wait? I was going to ask yeah. you what's your routine. So well, you yeah, can... I'll, I'll tell you. Yeah, I got you. I'll tell okay. you. Um, okay. But like, but same thing, right? If you if you do an event or a program, hey, you know, come do yoga and meditation on the riverfront, like eh, you might get some people, but the people that you're targeting, the ones who need the mental health training and, and some of that foundational training, they're not going to come. But if you partner with an athlete and let's call it, um, millionaire mindset training hosted by NFL player Gary Gilliam millionaire mindset training all right and you come and you're still doing yoga and meditation all right well like it's branding and all yeah. you gotta you gotta trick people to get there like yeah you have to, like that's part of it um but no my routine um and I mean it, it's nothing like super special I you know wake up it's important not to to touch your phone right away you know just kind of set your intention for the day. I think that's important, kind of having some time to yourself to know, all right, what am I going to do? What are some problems that I'm looking to solve today? Or even just kind of just lay there and let some thoughts come into your head and go out, right? Meditation, breathing, those things will help set your day. Drinking a glass of cold water is definitely important because after I wake up, I'm about to go get ready to work out. So if I can get my metabolism going, kind of moist my, my lips a little bit, brush my teeth, wash my face, and then go work out. Um, and then after I work out, I eat a little bit of breakfast and then I lock in on my office hours for the bridge. You know, I usually have architect meetings, engineer meetings, meetings with other developers, investors, donors, you know, just depends what hat I'm wearing that day or that meeting. Um, and then after I have my office hours, you know, try and spend some time with my family, you know, get some time with my daughter. Um, and that's, that's really it. And then, you know, go to bed and wake up and do it and do it over again. You know, nothing, it, I think, when it relates to routine, the more the more important thing, I think the kind of the underlying value of a routine is that it forces you to be consistent. Um, you know, anybody can do it for a day. 
you know, our coaches used to say this, anybody can have a good practice, anybody can have two good practices, but can you come back and do it day after day after day, play after play after play? Can you be consistent? That's what sets the good from the great, right? That little bit extra, that that consistency. So I think a routine helps you to be consistent, no matter what it is your routine is you choose to do. It's a matter of choosing to do it consistently and sticking to it. Um, so that's my routine. How do you stay focused? So there, there are like, it's impossible to stay focused like all day. And that's okay. not healthy either. Right? I think identifying when you are most focused and when you feel most productive, if you've got, you know, some priorities and some things you want to get done, start to monitor yourself. Like there's certain times of day when you feel like, all right, I'm about that action. And there's other times of day when you're like, ah, so like identify it, monitor yourself. And then all right, those days or those times of day when I'm most productive, right in the beginning of that time, I'm doing the most important thing that I need to get done. And then I'm gonna go down from there. And there could be, you know, maybe in the morning you're super productive. And then for some reason, like at like 8 p.m., like you're also like, all right, well, let me shift some stuff to that time, you know? So I think figuring out when you can be most focused <laughs> helps you to be focused, you know? Cause like if, if there's times where your mind's like drifting, it's probably cause like, all right, you might be hungry. Maybe go, you know, do some push ups, go do something else, like something that might be a little bit, you know, more fun. Like I think that's okay for people to do like the whole, I'm gonna work 16 hours a day as an entrepreneur. Like that's certainly not healthy. You know, there are seasons when that needs to happen, no doubt, right? Like training camp and football, but then there's also other seasons when you gotta relax a little bit, take it, take a little load off, right? So figuring out what's best for you, I think is extremely important. Oh my God, I, that's so true. Um, I had to learn that. I used to think that I had to do what you just said, or I have to work, 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 work. And I've learned that it's power in the pause. It's power in the rest. I a lot of, The resting of, it can be a couple of hours, it can be a day, it could be a weekend. It could be a couple of days. I've learned over COVID that I sometimes, you know, that recharge does more for me sometimes than the going nonstop of a whole day. So, um, or, you know, just go, 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 go. So it's, I, I totally agree with you about um, the the time management and and how you use your time and what that looks like and it's not what it, what you're taught to necessarily think that it means go like a race car in fact it's the exact opposite you don't need to be working a zillion hours a day if you're working a zillion hours a day my opinion something's wrong as an entrepreneur if you don't yeah something's wrong you don't need to be doing that I didn't know that early on. I know it now. Um, I want to wrap up with this um, part of my show, which is a segment that I'm calling Tell and Tell, which is a play on the word show and tell. What is something that you can tell us about yourself that no one knows? Um, a little secret, if you will, about yourself. It could be uh, maybe something that you eat in the morning. It may be something, your workout routine. It may be something that you use um, to stay focused mentally. It could be, I don't know, I'm just kind of tossing some things out there, but something that you may want to share with the world uh, that can kind of keep them going. I mean, that's that's tough being like a public figure who does a lot of different like, you know. I know. <laughs> and stuff. I have you on your feet. Think, 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 yeah. think, think. Um, Actually, something like people certainly know this about me, but like, it's not something that's super out there, but like, I am vegan. Mm, okay. And I'm, and I'm 300 pounds. What uh, was that like? How long have you been, been vegan for? Uh, three years now. Yeah. Um, a few different factors really led to it. Um, first and for, foremost, my, my girlfriend being vegan before I was vegan and kind of just like, you know, just dropping little breadcrumbs and hints about it to me. Yeah. Um, certainly led me to to be the nerd that I am and, and, and kind of do a little bit more research into it. 
and, and that was the catalyst to, to that, I guess, exploration of knowledge was really from, you know, being an athlete, you know, I would always get my blood work done, uh, you know, just to check on the different levels of everything within my body. And, you know, as a mid 20 year old, 22, 23, 24, 25, working out every day in great shape, my cholesterol was high year after year after year, even after being put on a cholesterol medication um, and, and adjusting my diet to what at the time I thought was was the proper diet for myself. Um, and it was finally, you know, a little, you know, probably like year three. And I was like, doc, like, what's up? Like, I'm taking this medication. I'm working out like I, I'm not eating a bunch of crazy stuff. Like, I, I'm confused. Why is why is my cholesterol so high? She 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 goes, well, Gary, it's because you're black. <laughs> I was like, what? Was yeah. Like, what kind of response is that? I'm black. And, and yeah. like, you know, on, on the surface level, that's like, well, like, that's false. And and what it what what she more meant was like, culturally. Okay. It's 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 what we eat, you know, not just as black people, but as Americans, certainly, and like, how the food is prepared and some of those things. So I'm like, all right, well, okay, well, let me let me educate myself on this cultural repercussion of cholesterol. So then I, I led myself to all right, let me let me figure out what what is what is this cholesterol. So you learn there's good cholesterol, bad cholesterol, right? LDL, HDL, you see these different levels and docs like look, one of these is good for you. They they pick up waste, take it to your liver so it can get, you know, taken out of your body. And then another one essentially kind of picks up waste and deposits it around your body in like fat and in your in your cells and you're just around your body. And I was like, okay, interesting. All right. Well, what, what begins to happen, so, so then what I, what I figured out is cholesterol comes from your liver. Uh -huh. And in most cases, your liver produces the perfect amount, and if not, just a little bit more, more cholesterol than you need for survival purposes. Now, when you start to eat extra cholesterol, uh -huh. this is what happens. Now, you've got to give a little, little medical thing here, right? So okay. as you eat more cholesterol and your liver is also producing cholesterol, now you've got extra cholesterol kind of floating around through your blood. Um, now, now, what this cholesterol ends up doing is as it's going through your 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 veins and your arteries, is it starts to kind of hit the, the the insides of your veins and your arteries, injuring those cells in there that produce nitric oxide. Now, what nitric oxide does is it actually one kind of like a vasodilator, it opens up your veins and your arteries so more blood can continue to flow through. And it also kind of acts as like a lubricant so things don't stick to the inside of your body. Now, as you have more cholesterol flowing through, hitting these cells, preventing them from producing this nitric oxide, you actually start to get more cholesterol and plaque that start to stack up on your veins and arteries, right? Which now that big old vein and artery is now a bit smaller, right? Increasing your blood pressure. So now you've got high blood pressure. And in a lot of cases, this can, with this extra plaque in your arteries, your veins is high blood pressure that tends to lead to heart disease, right? Now, now it doesn't stop there with the, the extra plaque and cholesterol that's caked on in there. You've got another compounding issue that starts to happen, right? We hear a lot about this smoking gun of sugar. Well, well, sugar really becomes a compounding issue when you lace the inside of your body with plaque, because now the otherwise extremely efficient at using glucose and sugar that our body developed and evolved into is now not as efficient at doing it. So this little sharp molecule is ripping its way through the little bit of space you've got in your, in your veins and arteries, and you start to get issues like uh, 
your eyesight starts to go away, right? The optic nerve starts to get affected, starts to slice up your gut, you start to get leaky gut and issues like that. And then you start to get a lot of sugar just sitting in your blood, right? High blood sugar tends to lead to diabetes, but it doesn't stop there. So now that you've got caked on, you got a bunch of sugar ripping through your body, your body's essentially not excreting and, and getting rid of the things that it's supposed to, now it's gonna start depositing it in different places, right? Mm. These deposits turn out to be cancers and tumors. Yeah. Guess what the three leading causes of death are in not just black Americans, but all Americans, heart disease, diabetes, and cancer. All three of those are directly correlated to the amount of cholesterol in your body that can only produce, be produced by a liver, which means that it can only come from animal products. Mm. Not one ounce of cholesterol can be found in any plant. Well, I love myself way too much to keep eating that. Okay, so then let me ask you this. So once you made the shift and you went from a meat to vegan, did you notice a shift in your body? Yes, um, a okay. lot less inflammation, um, a lot more yeah. focused, um, yeah. recovering faster. Mm -hmm. um, I actually had a, a pretty major knee injury in college. I tore my ACL, MCL, meniscus, patella, bunch of bone bruises, almost lost my life because of a staph infection. Won't go crazy into the story, but it was pretty bad. Point is that was obviously something that affected me through college and into my pro career, right? Some swelling in my knee just in general. I don't have any swelling in my knee. And actually last time that I got it scanned, the meniscus, which this isn't supposed to happen, was repopulating itself. Mm. When your body's not fighting itself because of what you're eating, it can certainly heal itself and do miraculous things. Yeah. That's so amazing. Really, your body really does take care of itself. Well, thank you so much for that tip. That was a great tell and tell moment. This is a beautiful episode. I really appreciate you spending this time with us and being part of this podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, if someone is interested in following you on your journey or being part of anything that you're doing, how can they go about doing that? Yeah, well, um, definitely the best way would just be to follow the bridge. Um, so the website for the bridge is pretty easy. It's thebridge.com. Um, so go there and subscribe and you'll get all the notifications about everything that we got going on. If you want to, you know, volunteer or help or, or you have an idea, you can also contact us through the website. So thebridge.com. And then um, on Instagram is probably where we're most active. So if you're on Instagram, you can follow us at thebridge underscore eco village. Um, that's really the, the best way to keep up with the bridge. And in which case you'll be keeping up with me. Well, that's it for this episode of the Journey Toad Show. I'm going to leave you with words that my father so often says to me that I say at the end of every episode, and that's to be the best you that you can be. Until next time, folks, let that sizzle in your spirit.